The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the Me Too movement. And we just recently heard about how Harvey Weinstein was convicted and he has been awarded 23 years in jail for the Me Too movement for what he had done. And we're hearing this about quite a few people in the the celebrities, in the media, and of course, in the everyday workplace. And so I was looking and uh, reading this book called Life Beyond Me Too, Creating a Safer World for Our Mothers, Daughters, Sisters, and Friends. And it's by Christine T. Rose. And let me tell you a little bit about Christine. Christine Rose, ACC, is a business and executive coach. She's also a keynote speaker and CEO of Christine Rose Coaching and Consulting, which is a boutique coaching firm in University Place in the beautiful state of Washington. And she specializes in assisting business owners and leaders to grow innovative and effective teams and have a good profit. And she is also the author of this book I just told you about that came out just this year in January. You can find out more about her at conflicthealing.com at our website where you see her bio and her picture and the JPEG of her book. And we link to her website, christinerose.coach, and her other website, lifebeyondmetoo.com. Thank you, Christine, for joining us from beautiful Washington. Thanks for having me, Mari. It's an honor to be with you. So this is such a timely discussion, you know, that we're going to be having because we we see these issues just really coming out of the woodwork for everybody. So why is it that you decided to write this book? Well, you know... I'm going to start by saying I grew up in a home with three abusers in my home. So I have a personal story, Mm. but I don't, the book's not all about my story, but as a person who's worked through all of this and then also worked in jobs where I experienced harassment and, you know, seen violence and relationships with friends or whatever, I just, I have a compassion for people who went through the Me Too social media firestorm, and we're one of those over 4 million people that posted over 12 million posts in a 24-hour period about their stories. I I really wanted to reach out to those people and also to the rest of the world 
and say, you know, let's let's talk about what it would take to create some deep culture change. Right. And I that's why I, I had to write the book. And I think it, it, it was, I mean, I remember even, you know, when I first started out for the law firm that I worked for, I had experienced um, some very uh, upsetting situation. And, you know, here I had uh, studied about sexual harassment, and I'm in a law firm, and I'm experiencing it. <laughs> and And I had to point out to the senior partner who was very abrupt and really, you know, abusing his, his uh, title and his position. And I told him, you know, this is sexual harassment. And I got to tell you right here and right now, if you ever speak like that to me again, we're going to have some serious problems. So, um, so that really worked. You know, as soon as I said that, he didn't fire me, he just backed off. So, um, but it was very upsetting, and you feel very dirty, and you feel quite, um, you know, dis- uncomfortable, right? So, I mean, t- yeah. you know, yeah, so tell us about some of the stories that were online that, that people told you about. Well, there were so many stories online, and actually for the book, I had a group of women that I had reached out to that agreed you know, actually a diverse group of women that agreed to share their stories. And there, there's some very similar ones. Um, and, and, you know, for example, I, you know, my first story in the book, I'll just tell you the beginning of it. You'll have to get the book to read the end. Yeah. But it was about a little girl who was five years old that was walking home from school. And her first Me Too story happened as she was kind of, you know, going home from playing with the friends to her house a couple blocks away. And she got turned around the corner into a courtyard and there were two big guys that told her, stay where you are and pull down your pants. And mm. she froze. She just absolutely froze. So the, the stories, you know, the stories start yeah. very young and there's a story in the book about uh, somebody at work, and she talks about how she reported harassment at the school where she was working as a contract worker, and their response was very proactive and uh, supportive. And she also reported it to the organization she worked for that was the company that was contracting to the schools, and their response was very different um mm. so there there are a lot of stories in the book and they help to open up to people especially if they weren't on social media during the me too firestorm yeah and haven't been reading the news that that according to the global health organization a third of the women in the world are or will be victims of violence, either from a partner, uh, either physical or sexual violence from a partner or sexual violence from a non-partner. And that doesn't even include all the harassment. So we've got a big issue to deal with. And Me Too just took the lid off it, like you said. There's wormwood happening. Yeah. And we have varying degrees, like what you were talking about with the little girl. That was a felony, you know, (laughs) 
I mean, that is, you know, obviously a, a very vulnerable child and that's lewd activity with a child under 10, you know, so that's, that's huge uh, in the criminal law. As, and then you've got varying things like people saying something to you, which is annoying and upsetting, but it doesn't reach criminal level. So you've got varying degrees. And I think that the challenge is, is that for so long in our society and in many societies all around the world, this kind of behavior is accepted. Women were chattel, right? Right. You know, um, in fact, in the book, I, I have a whole chapter that kind of gets into legally what's what's legally a crime. Right. And just so people know, because people sometimes don't know that. Um, that and also, you know, you think about what's happening now, even recently in Mexico, there was a protest uh, that was national where mm-hmm. women stayed home from work or stayed home for a day. Um, there were photos on the NPR website, uh, and they were protesting femicide. So the the high rate of murder of women in yes. Mexico. So it, it's really there's a, a variety of issues, and there's cultural roots to it. Yes. Um, so it the book is about getting down into the roots. In fact. Um, an executive coach you might have heard of before, Marshall Goldsmith, who's very w- well known around the world as a, mm-hmm. a hot, top executive coach. And um, he wrote a book with Sarah MacArthur and Frances Hesselbein, who was a beloved uh, organizational leader for Girl Scouts. And the book is called Work is Love Made Visible. And they did an endorsement that's on the front page of the front of the book. And it, and they say the, this book gets to the roots of sexual harassment and violence and coaches us to move into a more loving, safe future. That was the goal of the book is let's, let's have conversations that can lead us to opening up our minds to change in the culture. Because I can tell you, uh, no matter how many years of, of time you get in prison for rape, you may or may not change your mind. And, right. you know, the words, uh, the words that I heard coming from Harvey Weinstein when he was talking to the court didn't indicate to me that there was a whole lot of change going on in his mind. So the book is going to help people to have conversations that can help create an awareness of some of these cultural roots that are that cause people to make the decisions that they do. Right. A lot of it's about power, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, I I think when we think of Harvey Weinstein, that he had the power to destroy someone's career or help someone's career and use that power to abuse people sexually. So when I think about the power of my boss at the time, who had the power to think that he could do what he wanted to do with me. And I stood up to him. But people who are so vulnerable, the you know young people that are vulnerable to this, they don't feel like they have any power to, to even watch boundaries, right? Yeah, in fact, I quote Dr. Peggy Reeves 
Sanday. She's an anthropologist and researcher from the University of Pennsylvania. And she she did a lot of research on this socio-cultural context of rape and, and you know, extends to any kind of violence, whether it's verbal or physical. But what she found was that this is part of a cultural configuration that definitely includes male dominance, sexual separation, and interpersonal violence. So when there's tolerance of dominance of one gender over another, right? there's a higher risk for harassment and violence, for sure. Yeah, and I read recently about a woman in Iran who um, was subject to lashing um, you know, with with beatings and also, I think, 20 years in prison for coming out and saying that women shouldn't have to wear, the, cover their faces, you know, that they should be able to go out and work. And this is just very recently. And then, of course, we hear about these honor killings. When a woman in Saudi Arabia is raped, they, you know, it's okay to kill her if she was raped, even right. though it has nothing to do with anything she did. Right. Yeah. And there's a real deep culture of male dominance in those, in those areas. Um, and so you're, you're really getting down to one of the major cultural roots is that people, again, they're learning from the time they're young. And actually in the research, it shows that even from, there's a big switch from age four to age five, age five to age six. And at, even at a young age, you know, the kids start out, they're, they're, they're equal, right? And mm-hmm. they know they're equal, but at some point they get taught that somebody's more equal than somebody else. Right. And, you know, worth more than someone else. Mm-hmm. And they want to maintain that dominance. So it, it is very deeply cultural rooted. You know, for me, and I'm, I want to get into how you coach these women, but I know even for me, you know, being an attorney mediator and often I have, I do a lot of divorce mediation and I will see that often we will have the male and it isn't always, but the male is the one who rules the roost and the woman is just, you know, she comes into mediation and she feels she has no power at all. And for anything. And she felt like, you know, I have one that she had to submit to her husband whenever he wanted sex, even if she was sick. Or, you know, she had to do exactly what he wanted to do and never could have money to do things that she wanted to do. But he had money to do whatever he wanted to do. And so we've got this power imbalance. And I think part of it is that we need to teach women when they're young how to how to watch boundaries because that seems to be, at least from what I see, is a lot of women are have never been taught to really watch boundaries. They've learned that their mother kowtowed to their father, and um, they they were not given the kind of role model. They they didn't have the role models to teach them how to gently but powerfully say, "I'm not comfortable with that. No, that's that's not how I'm going to live." So what do you think yeah. about that? Well, Mari, your story really that you had told earlier uh, demonstrated a power that you had to speak out. 
And oftentimes, from a young age, uh, there's cultural conditionings for girls to be quiet and to not speak, right, to lose a voice. And so, and part of it, how it shows up later is that that voice then is, uh, is keeping them from advocating for themselves, uh, whether it's in their life or in their business, in their career, um, in their relationships, because they have lost that connection to their deep voice. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's we definitely need to equal the playing field. And I think a lot of women are afraid to speak out. Not only do they not feel they don't have a voice like what you're talking about, but they're afraid that it's going to escalate the conflict or they're afraid that it's going to, that their husband will leave them and they will be stuck without anything, you know, that they they feel that they have to just do whatever. Or they're afraid that, that if they speak up, they'll lose their job and maybe they're a single mom taking care of all these kids and they just can't afford to lose their job, so they stay there and take the abuse, and they're afraid to go to HR and talk about things because they hear that HR doesn't do anything. So, yeah, definitely, definitely that story about Susan Fowler at Uber, and I don't know if people are familiar with that, how she had reported what the culture was like at Uber on her on a blog post after she left and there was a lot of harassment going on there. They lost a huge percentage of their female engineers over the the year that she was there. I coach business owners on psychological safety and developing that in teams and developing that culture in their company. And so psychological safety and whether it's in a corporate organization or a small business or or even in a family. It's the ability to show yourself um, without fear of negative consequences to your self-image or your status or your care. So, for example, in a business, that that leadership need to model inclusion uh, and, you know, give people a sense of belonging in a family you know, they need to model inclusion. There needs to be freedom to learn, to contribute, and freedom to challenge the status quo without the fear of being embarrassed or marginalized or punished. So in a home, if there's not psychological safety, if there's an authoritarian top-down kind of uh, way of dealing with parenting, and if there's not freedom to speak out about problems, that's setting up a girl um, for being victimized. And that's setting up a, a, a person who ob- observes victimization or power dominance to follow in that pattern. Right. So we need to work on psychological safety in our in all of our organizations, whether it's a family organization or of course, in businesses to reduce this harassment problem and reduce the violence. So the people in power have to learn how to change the way that they're dealing with it. But and then the people who feel, you know, powerless also need to start to understand their power. So I know when I deal with women, I have, (laughs) I have, I have them write down phrases that they can say, because they they don't even know where to start. So um, this, 
when I have women in mediation and they just, they don't want to do something, but they just say, yes, I feel like kicking them under the table. So one of the things I tell them to do is just say, you know, I'm not really comfortable with that. Instead of getting, you know, aggressive, because they know that if they get aggressive, it's going to escalate because they have a dominant, powerful person that's going to do something and, and yell and scream at them. So that's one thing that seems to work. And then to just say, you know, tell me more about that. You know, tell me more about what you want and why do you want that? Or I just don't think that that's going to work for me, you know, (laughs) to be able to be um, powerful without being aggressive. And um, so that seems to be helpful, too, at least when I'm talking with people. So they write it down. You know, I'm not comfortable with that. And Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, after they hear what someone says, they'll say, well, I heard what you said. Now, this is how I see it, um, without really attacking the other person. Unfortunately, we, we find that the people who are less emotionally intelligent, uh, who, who are part of this Me Too, that they're the, uh, the accusers or they're the victimizers, they don't seem to have much emotional intelligence on how to... Uh, deal with these situations. Would you say that, that the way you see it? Well, I think you honed in on a really important point, and that is the first step to change is that we have to recognize that we have the power to change something. Um, I, I use a model in the book, I quote from the book Influencer by Carrie Patterson at all. There's four authors in there. And they talk about how to go about creating lasting change. Not only do we need to have an awareness of choice, but we also need to have the the recognition that we have the power to create change. So whether that's personal or societal. Um, so in an individual who has experienced, say, for example, I came out of a sexual abuse background one of the results of being a victim is a profound sense of powerlessness that you Mm. carry with you through your life. So, um, and even with, I think you were saying, you know, at the very beginning, even just with street harassment, you know, there's an attack on your person almost. Right. Um, Even, you know, whether it's verbal or or anything, Mm -hmm. and it can create a sense of powerlessness. And so, to create that behavior change, we have to own the power. And there needs to be influences in our culture, in our social and structural supports that will help us to create the changes that we want. So not just personal motivation and ability. And, you know, maybe we want to make change, but we don't, we don't know how desirable it is. And so we feel stuck or maybe we feel like we don't have the ability. And so we need to work on growing will by growing skill. But then we also are in this bath of, of a social system and peer pressure that keeps things the way they are. And so there has to be social motivation to create change. And there also has to be the strength in numbers to help uh, enable social change. And I think that's one of the things that happened in the Me Too movement was that people reporting their stories recognized 
they're no longer alone. They're not a small human being that suffered. They're a part of a number of people who found unacceptable behaviors from somebody and then learned, oh my gosh, you know, uh, people will believe me. I'm telling the truth and they'll believe me and that people will support me. So there's now some strength in numbers, some social ability to create change. And then as we move into the, you know, kind of the post-Me Too era, people are interested in working on structural motivation. And you see that in California with the way they created the legislation to require women on boards. You see that in how businesses are doing more training and how um, even businesses are working on that psychological safety piece and making that part of the culture of the organization. And that's the changing the environment in the organization. So uh, there's a lot of sources of influence that have to be applied to create lasting change. And if they're not all there, the change won't happen. So we talk about that culture and how deep it runs. Uh, that, and how we can do sometimes. Yeah, I remember in the 80s, you know, um, the late 80s, early 90s, I was teaching um, sexual harassment for companies, you know, going in and teaching sec- sexual harassment and letting them know that in California, you know, they were they could be sued and they could be fired for this. So there was, um, that was kind of like the beginning, I think, of some changes because we had laws and there was going to be accountability. And I think that's a huge issue too. I mean, even this thing with Harvey Weinstein, that that he is being held accountable, yes, many years later, but at least we're doing that accountability. And that's, you know, the laws can help to make change as well. But then, you know, we saw what happened when Justice Kavanaugh was, um, you know, up for his position and saw how, um, you know, there was, you know, she was being poo-pooed for what she was saying. So I think we've got a backlash and some of it is women. What do you think about women just believing that the old way is fine? The evidence is that there's a real backlash and that a majority of women are, you know, stuck in the status quo that I call old normal. Um, And so I think it's really important for people to get facts to understand, you know, when we, when we say something, it, it can either be an opinion or it can be a reality that we're, that's either true or false, right? So um, when people are making decisions about social things, they may not know the facts. And part of the benefit of getting the book is that it really, it's very low on opinion and it's very high on fact. As a coach, my job isn't to tell people what I think and make them agree with it. My job is to encourage them to think about what will work for them, where they are now, where they want to be, and how to get there. And so this is a coaching book about creating change. And um, absolutely, uh, it addresses women who are either were victims and had a story, and it addresses women who don't. Because if you're not aware of the facts and the truth about what's going on in the culture, um, you might 
tend to think things are fine the way they are. Right, right. No, I think it's beautiful that you're doing this. And, and I think when you were talking before about when a few women came forward about Harvey Weinstein and and also about, oh gosh, you know, so many people that, you know, on Fox News. Um, right. And um, when they started to come forward, then other women felt safe enough to come forward. So that mutual support is so wonderful. And also having a wonderful coach like you, to support them through a time when they're trying to find themselves. I mean, you you had to work through getting healthy and healing on your own, uh, and but and you found a way. But now you can help other people, and you can help the companies to understand at a deeper level what they need to do. So we're just about out of time. I just want to mention your book again, Life Beyond Me Too, Creating a Safer World for Our Mothers, Daughters, Sisters, and Friends by Christine T. Rose. So we're just out of time. Would you just give your website and it's time to go? Yes, you can get the book on Amazon.com or you can get it on lifebeyondmetoo.com and you can find out more about coaching at christinerose.coach Okay, well thank you so much and keep up the wonderful work that you're doing to help change our society. So thank you Christine, have a wonderful day. Thank you Mari. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.